Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. Our program is entitled Messianic Teachings for Christians, and I have created this program expressly to help some of you folks that are maybe exploring what is the Messianic teaching. Maybe you have a friend who is a Messianic believer, and they're trying to encourage you with some of the things that they're learning. Whatever the circumstances are, we're tailoring this teaching primarily so Christians can understand what these teachings are. We're not trying to confirm for messianics uh, what it is that we believe. However, that's naturally going to happen as we go through these basic teachings. These are not big, sophisticated teachings. They're pretty simple. We're simply going into what the Bible says and addressing it, things that Quite honestly, our, our church fathers and our Christian preachers don't address. And when they do address them, they distort them. Uh, we have been, for example, talking about a passage in Matthew chapter 5 where the Messiah came to the people and specifically said, do not even think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. And he said, I did not come to abolish, I came to fulfill. Now, the generalized Christian teaching of that is that the, is, is a dispute over the definition of the word fulfill. They would like to tell you that the word fulfill there means to basically diminish, to annul, to complete, and basically have it go away, which is the exact opposite of what Yeshua said in the same breath, where he said, don't even think that I came to abolish it. The word fulfill to what the Messiah is saying in that sentence is, is something greater, not something less. However, the generalized teaching in the church amongst most Christians is the law of Moses, it, it's done away with. It's been fulfilled. We don't have to deal with it anymore. Well, I'm here to tell you that is not what the Messiah was teaching. In previous programs, I've taken you into the statements he made immediately after that, in which that he says, let me read to you from Matthew chapter 5. Let me say to you, verse 18, the very next thought, he said, for truly I say to you, and until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. I mean, the Messiah said, before you lose anything out of the law of Moses, before anything is diminished, you got to see heaven and earth doesn't exist anymore. Well, hey, folks, heaven and earth is still here. The sun is still rising in the east, setting in the west. We still got the moon going around us. Everything is as it was before. Heaven and earth has not passed away. And so Messiah is saying, not the slightest thing in it shall diminish. You have to ignore that complete statement to come away with the idea that the word fulfill means to diminish and all go away. They're not reading and listening to what the Messiah continued to say. In fact, he goes a, a statement further to illustrate his point. Verse 19, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you need a stronger statement to understand 
that if a person who is a believer in the Messiah keeps and teaches all of the commandments of the law of Moses, he shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. But the person who goes in and tries to annul the least of the commandments. By the way, you can ask this basic question of a Christian. Everybody knows what the greatest commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Did you know there is a least commandment in the law? A lot of people don't even know about it. The least commandment is Deuteronomy 22, verse 6. It has to do with the kindness you'd show a bird's nest. Kindness are considered to be the least of the commandments. Love is considered to be the greatest commandments. That's the teaching of the law of Moses. And so what this is saying is, if you have a teacher of the faith, believer of the Messiah, and he's telling you, that you don't have to pay attention to the other commandments that's in the law of Moses. That's not for you. Uh, you don't need to learn those. You don't need to know about that. And they don't instruct you in those things. Let me tell you what the Messiah says about that person. They may get saved. They may make it to the kingdom. But when we get to the kingdom, they're not going to be preaching and teaching. They will be least in the kingdom. Whereas the person who's asserting the commandments and encouraging you to obey the Lord and teaches others and keeps those commandments themselves, they will be great in the kingdom. Now, we went through some other things in the previous programs where I showed you that the Apostle Paul didn't come along and change this. He taught the law too. The Apostle Peter, he didn't change this. The Apostle James didn't change this. The Apostle John didn't change this. In fact, I showed you specific places where each of those apostles strengthened and added to what Yeshua had said in Matthew chapter 5. They themselves were observant, kept the commandments. That was their testimony. And John, the beloved apostle, even went so far as to say, if you say you know him, the Messiah, you have a relationship with him, yet you do not keep his commandments, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. I don't know how to say that more correct than that. I mean, the apostles didn't teach against the law of Moses. They taught the law of Moses. How ironic that we are in these days that we have lots of Christians, lots of people that believe in the Messiah, praise God, and yet have no understanding of the basic instruction that the Messiah gave. We have been seduced by those who are opposed to the commandments by the church fathers, and we've been misled. One of the things that I've already shared with you is Moses commanded that the children of Israel not add to or take away from the law of Moses. That's what gets you in trouble. Historically, my Jewish brethren added to what Moses said. They built a fence around the Torah. They call it the oral tradition, the oral law. They added to the commandments so much that people weren't even keeping the basic commandments. When Yeshua came and ministered in his day, he took issue with them about that, and he made statements like this to those leaders, and he said, you prefer, prefer the traditions of men to the commandments of God. 
Clearly, he's saying you should keep the commandments of God. And he specifically is taking issue with what others have added to it and deflected the understanding of the teaching of the law. And then he said to others that had come up with theologies, and he said, you prefer the precepts of men, the principles and teachings of men to the commandments of God. If Yeshua were to come here today and have a conversation with the believers that are in the churches going to church on Sunday, he'd be making the exact same, same speech today that he made then when he came the first time. Because this world is full of people who've traded in their traditions and replaced the commandments of God. They have their theologies, and they have replaced the commandments of God, the actual teachings that are in the Bible, the basic principles of our faith, who God is, what God expects of us, how we're to live our lives, not only dealing with other men, but before God himself, and that he's a holy God, and he wants us to be holy according to his standards, not according to some religious man's standards. The Christians, sadly, have not done what the Pharisees did. They didn't add to the law. They took away from the law. They diminished the law to where that the average Christian can barely understand any of the basic commandments of the law. Now, in this particular program, I want to show you that when Yeshua said that he came to fulfill the law, that he was talking about that he came to teach the law so that it would be understandable by all peoples in the world that it was a teaching for everyone in the world, not just the Jewish people, as some people like to say, oh, the law's just for them. Nonsense. These commandments were given to mankind. I can point out to you every major commandment given by Moses states, this is for the, the native-born and for the alien and sojourner who may be with you. It's for all peoples, tribes, and tongues. Where did we get the idea that it was strictly just for the Jewish people? Nonsense. That is not what it says. That is the precepts of other religious men. It's wrong, and it's misleading God's people and sending you astray. And as a result, here you are in your faith, believing in the Messiah, hoping for the best. And for some reason, when it comes to real issues of your life, conflicts you have with other people, your faith doesn't work. You want to know why? Because you're not following the commandments of God. If you follow the commandments of God, it says it increases your faith. It increases your faith in God. It's a simple case of you are now walking with the Lord, obeying the Lord, and as a result, your relationship with the Lord increases. Walk away from his commandments. Your faith becomes so weak, it doesn't work anymore. You're just hanging on to the promise of forgiveness of sins, and I hope there's an afterlife and I get to be a part of it. That's at the bottom of the barrel in understanding our faith. God is very interested in our lives being fulfilled, living abundantly in this world. To do so, we must follow his instructions in righteousness. Where do we find those? In the Torah. Everybody else is commenting on what Moses was taught by God that he wrote down, we call the law of Moses, the commandments of the Lord. Now, so 
if Yeshua said, I came to fulfill it, and that definition for the word fulfilled does not mean make it go away or annul it or lessen it, well, then his definition must mean to increase it, to make it even more. By the way, as a little side thing here, do you know what is considered to be by the Jewish people the greatest prophecy of what the Messiah is to do? It's from this scripture. It says, The Torah shall go forth out of Zion. The word of the Lord shall go forth out of Jerusalem. That is the great prophecy that the Messiah, when he comes, he will teach the Torah. He will teach the law of Moses so great that everyone in the world will benefit from it, and he will be instructing everyone in the world. That's considered to be the greatest prophecy of the Messiah. If you wanted to survey all the prophecies about the Messiah. So when he came and he made this statement, no, I came to fulfill it, he's talking about that prophecy. He's talking about his job is to come and teach the Torah, quite honestly, like nobody else has ever taught it before. Well, Yeshua was running around with his apostles, and, and he was the Messiah. So let's ask the question, when, when did the Messiah teach the Torah? When, when did he go and explain the commandments? When, when did he instruct us in how to keep the commandments, how to keep the law of Moses? Well, there in Matthew 5, as he concludes this little discussion, he says one more thing about Matthew chapter 5. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, if you are just stay with the teaching of the law that is given by the scribes and the Pharisees, you probably won't make it into the kingdom. You know what he's saying? He says, their teaching is flawed. Their teaching is not correct. So he's put that in context, and now he says, now let me teach you the Torah. You know what follows in Matthew chapter 5, the very next verse? Through chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 12, he's teaching the law. Let me read to you what he had to say. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. You have heard that is said of, of, to them of old, thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel, and whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. We're talking about the commandment, You shall not kill. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not kill. Now, the Pharisees used to say, hey, you know, you can be in a disagreement with somebody, you can do all manner of things, as long as you don't kill them, as long as you don't end their mortal life, you have not violated this commandment. But you see, one of the things that Yeshua taught about the law, and by the way, those who teach Moses, this is one of the most profound things we teach. When you do a good deed and you obey the Lord, you do so from the heart first. 
when you sin. You do it from the heart first, and then the actions carry it out. You do it from inside of you, and then it comes out. That which defiles a man is that which comes out of the heart, not what you put in your mouth. That's what Yeshua taught. And so he's teaching what comes from the heart is how you obey the Lord. So he's saying, hey, you've seen this commandment, you shall not murder. He said, I'm telling you right now, you call a man a fool with your words, you try to do harm to him, you are guilty of attempted murder. Wow. Now, in the, in the Christian faith, one of the things that we have generally picked up on is that we should be nice to people. We shouldn't say nasty things to people. We shouldn't curse people. We shouldn't do any of that kind of thing. Did you know that Yeshua said that if you curse a man, you're guilty of the law and commandment of thou shalt not kill? Did you know that? That's Yeshua's teaching. The Pharisees never taught that. Judaism doesn't teach that. Yeshua came teaching that. Wow. That's a whole new way to look at that commandment. There's Yeshua teaching the law. By the way, it doesn't stop there. Matthew 5, verse 23. If therefore thou art offering thy gift at the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. By the way, that is what the law teaches. The law teaches specifically that if you come before the Lord to bring a gift to him and you got a problem with your neighbor, you are not accepted by God to give him a gift until that issue has been resolved. Wow. We have lots of conflicts with people, and sometimes these conflicts never really get resolved, and yet we'll, we'll go to church and we'll be all religious and pious and we'll just try to ignore those other conflicts we have with people, and we don't understand. You're supposed to resolve that and get that reconciled with that person before you come before God. God knows what you did and what happened. He wants that conflict resolved. Before you come and do a bunch of stuff with me, he said. Wow. Have we done that? Is that a common practice? This is Yeshua teaching this. This is our Messiah, our Savior. He's teaching. He's teaching the law of Moses. When you ignore the law of Moses, you ignore that teaching. That is the law. That's what the law teaches. And that's what Yeshua's teaching. That wasn't just some temporary teaching until he got crucified. That is the teaching we have today for being in the faith following the Messiah. Let's, uh, let's go a little bit further. Verse 25, agree with thy adversary quickly while thou art with him in the way, lest, lest the adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and you be cast in prison. You know what he's talking about? You need to, when you make a mistake, don't put up some big fight about it. You need to repent right away and get that resolved. By the way, that's what the law teaches. You know, the law of Moses didn't institute prisons. It, you don't find anything, oh, this is how you establish a prison system. No, 
because the law of Moses was teaching the people that if you have a problem and you have something like that happen, repent. Get it, you know, if you're guilty, admit it. Let's get it resolved. Let's get it taken care of. The other, you know, was if you killed somebody, well, then, you know, we got rid of you. It was simple. We didn't put you in prison. We stoned you. The whole concept that we have for justice, the justice system of the world is contrary to the law of Moses. The whole justice system that we have in the Christian believing world follows the world, does not follow what the law of Moses said. Now, by the way, just for the record, I'm not suggesting that you all run out and stone the next guy that run, you run into. Because the law also says that I have to obey and get along with the authorities of the nation that I'm in. That I don't get to institute these laws until I'm in a land in which this is the law. Right now, I live in the United States of America. We have a constitution. We have other federal laws, state laws, and ordinances, and so forth. I have to follow them. The scripture tells me I am to submit to those in that land. But God has given explained what is real justice here. And amongst ourselves, individually amongst ourselves, we can institute these, these principles ourselves instead of being subject to all the other stuff and ignoring what the law has said. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You'll love this one. You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. By the way, in the law, adultery is just the first step toward a whole bunch of teaching about a lot of sexual perverse sins. It includes things like just open fornication, hormone. It includes homosexual behavior sex with animals, pedophilia, sex with children. It deals with all of it. And again, he starts to teach this commandment, and he immediately starts talking about you sin with the heart first. Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone that looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The other one didn't even have to participate. The fact that you had these lustful thoughts, you've already committed adultery. You've already violated the commandments for sexual misbehavior. Why did God give us this incredible sexual appetite and yet stand up and give us all these commandments against it? Because let me tell you something about natural things about us. And appetites were given to us by God because we need them. If you don't have an appetite for food, you won't eat. And as a result, if you don't eat, you die. We have an appetite for sex. Why? So that we'll have marriage and we'll create new people and have a life. And we'll have a family. It's a natural appetite. But there's limits on all of this. We have an appetite for ego. You, you must think well of yourself for you to be able to live. People who don't think well of themselves become depressed. They kill themselves. And yet, on the other end, there's people who have too much appetite for themselves, and they become egotistical. So God has given us commandments that says, don't get depressed and don't get egotistical 
stay humble, but at the same time, esteem yourself properly. And by the way, to do that, learn how to esteem the Lord and find out what the Lord thinks about you. And as a result, you'll have the proper esteem of who you are, and you'll be able to live properly before the Lord. The same thing with sexual appetite. He's given restrictions on what you can do and what you can't do, and he definitely is promoting it with regard to a sexual appetite for having children, be fruitful, multiply. You know, it, these are good things, but they can become very bad things if they're out of control. The law of God has been given to us to control those appetites. Well, here he starts off, and again he repeats that in this nature of this sin, it begins from the heart. Your heart either is inclined to obey the Lord, or your heart is inclined to disobey the Lord, to go your own way. We live in a world today in which nobody wants rules. They want to make their own rules instead of following the rules of God. And that's the reason why we have issues in the church today of whether or not we're going to accept homosexuals into the church. And the homosexual community, the militant homosexual community, knows that the laws of God say that what they're doing is an abomination and is wrong. But since the Christians aren't following the law of Moses, we don't have, we're not standing with those rules that God gave. We're in a quandary about what do we do with these people? Well, I guess we should love them. And by the way, that's the argument they like to make. By the way, sexual sins aren't love. They're lust. That's what the Bible defines. They're lust. A homosexual who has sat down with me, I said, don't tell me that you love this so-called partner. You lust after them. And the Bible has a very clear and distinct definition for those two words. If we don't follow the definition of the law of Moses, you get lost in that definition trying to sort that out. He continues to teach. He says, verse 29, If thy right hand causes thee to stumble, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body be cast into hell. What is that? That's the law that says that you are to exercise self-control. That you are to, when you're faced with temptation, you are to flee from it. That you are to avoid temptation. We have lots of stories in the scripture about that. Joseph avoided temptation and fled, and it turned out good for him. But those that don't avoid a temptation, such as Samson, what happens to them? We have all that instruction to explain. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, says, There's no temptation taken to you that is not common to man. You're not unique in being tempted with that. But then he says, But God has made a way for you to escape from it so that you, you're not into the sin. Here's Yeshua teaching the law. He said, if that thing is the thing that's bothering you, cut it out, get it away from you. You know what? There's a lot of men that are dealing with pornography. They cannot be permitted. They, they have to stop. 
they can't see anything in any form of pornography in any way, shape, or form. It's too much temptation for them. They have to make a way to escape from it. An alcoholic, once you become alcoholic, you can't have a sip of it. You can't have just one beer. You can't go there anymore. You have to avoid it. You have to completely cut it out of your life. The law teaches us how to do that, how to escape those kinds of things. This is what Yeshua is talking about. Most people read that verse and say, I have no idea what Yeshua is talking about. The reason why they don't is because they don't know what the law teaches with regard to this. Let's look at verse 31. This is, this is right after that discussion in Matthew 5 about don't think I came to, to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. What's he talking about right after that? He's teaching the law. And this goes on for a while. Verse 31, whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that everyone that putteth away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, maketh her an adulteress, and whosoever shall marry her when she is put away committeth adultery. Wow, what an interesting passage of Scripture. A lot of Christians, the devout Christians, wrestle with this. And the reason why they do is because in this generation, divorce has become rampant, even amongst believers. What do we do about this? This is, a, first of all, a divorce, whenever it takes place, is an absolute tragedy. They entered into a covenant of marriage. And by the way, when you enter into a covenant, it's like forever. There's no little dotted line in the covenant where you cut here if you want to separate. Instead, when people go through divorce, because their souls are intertwined in this covenant, when they come apart, it rips and shreds the fabric of their souls. It is huge. It's almost equivalent to walking death. It's terrible. The scripture does not promote divorce. However, as Yeshua said, Moses was forced to give you a get. You will not find the word get anywhere in the law of Moses. In fact, Nowhere in the law of Moses will you find the Hebrew letters Gimel and Tav, which spell the word get. Nowhere in the Torah will you find those two letters sitting beside each other. Never. That's how much God hates divorce. He doesn't want. However, Moses had to give it to us. And it's called a, a writ of divorce. And why would you ever have that? Why would you do that? It's because... There's been such a breakdown in the marriage that another ingredient has entered. And you don't hear a lot of words about this unless you go back to the Torah to learn about it. And it's called treachery. In a, in a marriage that moves in from love to treachery, and that's what happens. They move from loving this person for all their life to suddenly they hate them. And they hate them with a passion. You ever heard of crimes of passion? It's because it moved into treachery, and this person is now becoming treacherous. 
One of the examples of a husband becoming treacherous to his wife is to have an affair with another woman. Committing adultery is treachery to the wife. Verbal abuse, physical abuse, they're all treachery that are committed. Attempting to kill one another clearly qualifies as treachery. What Yeshua did was he gave you an example of treachery. You go back into the law to understand what the other things, it's, it's talking about a treacherous behavior. We have this incredible story about Pharaoh hardening his heart, you know, against the children of Israel. You know what hardness of the heart is in the law? Treachery. Pharaoh became increasingly treacherous to the children of Israel to the point of where their life was on the line. Why do you think they escaped? Because their lives were on the line. And after Pharaoh had let them go, what did he want to do? Kill them. Took his chariots, went out to kill them. That's what treachery does. It increases, it moves away from love, and it increases all the way where you want to kill somebody. And by the way, isn't that what we say when a man kills his wife or the wife kills the husband? Why didn't you just get a divorce? Because the divorce is there specifically to keep treachery from going to the point of killing each other. That's the reason for divorce. If you do it for other means, if you do it because, well, I'm, I'm convenience. Well, you know, I got married and it's kind of a 50-50 proposition. It didn't work out for me. I'm not happy with it. I think I'll divorce this person. I'll get on with my life. What you should is saying is if that's your reason for getting a divorce, you're committing adultery. You're causing somebody else to commit adultery with you. In the days that Yeshua was speaking this, let me tell you what was one of the cultural things that was real well known that the religious leaders of the day was not dealing with very well. You'd have this man who, as a young man, he would get married. And this wife would grant him children. And they would go on for a while until his children got to about the age where they were able to leave the home and go out and establish their own lives. And then the guy would say, you know, I'm kind of tired of this woman. And I think what I want to do is go out and get me a sweet young thing. And to be able to make it legal and appropriate, he would hand a bill of divorce, a get, to the wife so that he could immediately turn around and go fraternize with a woman and get married to her, this young, sweet thing. And this was common practice. Now, according to the Pharisees and Sadducees, hey, everything was done properly. There was a divorce, so he's free to marry again, you know, and so forth. You know what the Torah specifically gives as a commandment about divorce? It says this, if a man gets divorced from his wife, if the man or the woman then enter into a relationship with anyone else, if they decide after that they want to go back and get married again to the original partner, you're forbidden from doing it. You're forbidden. That's the real commandment. And, and the reason it gives that commandment of that nature, that's how far this thing can go. Because, you know, the guy goes out and he gets the sweet young thing, and then it turns out, well, she doesn't do all the things my other wife did. And, you know, and 
and, and she, the, my other wife took care of the house and took care of me, and the sweet young thing, I was just having her for sex. And by the way, it, it don't work out so good. His home is, is not like his home anymore. By the way, he's got conflicts with his children over this. He's got conflicts and all of his family members over doing this. This does not work. So he says, hey, okay, I made a mistake. I'll get rid of her. I'll come back. You know what the Torah says? No, you don't. You made a huge mistake. By the way, you're not coming back. That's what the law actually teaches. You take this thing too far. This is what, this is what the law says about it. You are not going to treat marriage like it's some cavalier, casual thing. This covenant that you make with your wife is a picture of the covenant that God makes with us all. And you will not distort that imagery and that picture of the covenant that God has made with us. Marriage, I might remind you, was created by God. That wasn't some idea that came, hey, the guy said, let's, let's have a marriage. No, that was God that did that. Today, when we look around about mar the way marriage is being treated today, it's an abomination. And why is it that Christians are having to deal with that? Because they don't obey the commandments of the law, and they don't listen to what the Messiah is saying or his teaching about it. Verse 33, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform the Lord thine oaths. Did you know that we have a whole section in the law that talks about making vows and oaths? One of the things that the law teaches us is that there are three modes of speech that a man can do. One of them has to do with the past. We explain things. We tell a story. We repeat something that happened. That's speaking in the past. We're talking about things that happened in the past. In the present tense, the only manner of speech that you're able to do is you're able to request something, you're able to promise something, and you're able to assert a fact or a truth. And by the way, the law has a lot to say about that subject, about asking, promising, and, and asserting facts. The law specifically says you cannot call something the truth without the evidence of two or three. You cannot make an accusation against somebody without confirming evidence. The law has a lot to say about that manner of speech and how that's to be done. But it also has a whole lot to say about speech that's in the future. And when you make a vow, you are making a statement about the future. In fact, what you're doing is what God did when he spoke and created the heavens and the earth. We speak into the future with a vow or an oath, and we're literally going into the future, we're adjusting and manipulating God's creation. And when you make a vow, it's without conditions. When you make a promise, there's always conditions. A promise, I will do if you will do. You know, for consideration given, I receive consideration. But not in a vow. In a vow, a man stands up in front of his wife and he says, without conditions, 
I will be your husband. I will love you. I will prefer you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will be passionate only for you. Without conditions, you've heard the marriage vows, in sickness and in health, in richer or for poorer, in dark days and great days, I'm still going to do this no matter what the conditions are, no matter what happens, I will still do this. God says that's so powerful that you alter the creation. By the way, I'll show you significantly how powerful you do it. The moment you make that vow and your wife makes a vow of marriage back to you, you just change the future for everybody around you. From that moment on, everybody says, oh, they're married. They're an item. They're going to be together. They're, they're going to have their house. The whole family adjusts to you. All your friends adjust to you. You've changed the world all around you for everybody you interact with. So if you don't keep that vow, you are destroying part of God's creation that he allowed you to modify. And guess what God says? I'm going to hold you accountable for that. You are going to answer to me because you're messing with what I created. And so when we get to this subject about speech and making vows, here's what Yeshua says. By the way, let me also give you what the law says about that. You'll love this part. It says there's a provision given to the husband and the father in the family to protect his wife and his daughter with regard to making vows. If, for example, his, he hears his wife has made a vow to specifically do something and she's committed herself to do it, in the day that he hears of the vow, he has the authority from God, if he believes that will be harmful to his wife and will hurt her, he has the authority to annul her vow as though she never spoke it. She has no problem before God. God grants the husband that authority to protect his wife. He can also do the same thing for his daughter. In the day that he hears it, now, the law says that if he hears it, and in that day he does not change it, the vow stands. So he hears that his wife has made a vow. He doesn't annul it, and the next day comes, that vow is intact. God will hold that person to that vow, and that, is, that has altered things. Now, do you understand why the, we have this tradition that you have to ask for the father's permission to marry his daughter. You see, the law of God says that in the day he hears that she's made a vow of marriage, he has the power to annul it. Wow. We follow that tradition. We encourage young men, come ask for permission. In other words, what they're asking when they say, can I marry your daughter? In the day that you hear her vow, will you object or will you accept it? So you ask the father, will you grant your blessing? Or are you going to take issue when she makes the vow? It's based on the law of Moses. That's Christian teaching. Did you know it comes from the law? Let me tell you what else Yeshua taught here about the law about vows. 
he said, there, there, there's, you can speak in the present tense and you can make a promise. He said, you should be making promises rather than vows. The consequence of a promise is like, for example, if you buy something. If you promise to buy something and then you fail to do it, well, then there may be damages, but it can be sorted out, and it doesn't require God to step in and, and so forth. You have not offended God. He said, but when you make a vow, you now engage God, and you've called upon God to hold you to the vow. So he's trying to teach. He said, look, when, when you go to make agreements, let your yes be a yes. Let your no be a no. Don't vow. Be very careful about when you make an oath. That's teaching the Torah. That is the teaching of vows that the, that the law of Moses stood. Yeshua continued to teach further from this, but let me share with you a couple of words that he says at the conclusion of this particular teaching. Let me get to in verse 48, Matthew. He's still talking about the law in all of this. I've got to go back on one. I've got to, I got to cover, but here's the conclusion. Verse 48, you therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Did you know that the law of Moses, the scripture says, is perfect forever settled in heaven? It is eternal. These commandments are perfect. They're forever settled in heaven. You cannot change these commandments and make them better. They already are perfect. Now, let me take you back to the most obvious one about teaching the law. Let me take you back to verse 38. He says, you have heard it said. By the way, let me, he used that intro. Did you hear that? You have heard it said. You have been previously taught these commandments, but I'm going to teach the commandments the way they should be taught. He's telling them they did get instruction on this, but they weren't taught correctly. They were taught by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's saying, Unless your righteousness exceeds them, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. And when we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about doing the right thing. A righteous man is the man that does the right thing, particularly in keeping the commandments. By keeping the commandments, you're showing yourself to be a righteous man. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about how you behave. And so verse 38, this is the one that is really powerfully about the law. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, resist not him that is evil, but whosoever smiteth thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man would go to law with thee, take away thy coat, lest him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel you to go one mile, go with him too. Well, that's an interesting teaching about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he's talking about like yielding, you know, to it. Well, let's go back to the law of Moses and let's see what did he really say when he talked about an eye for an eye. He said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, bruise for bruise, wound for wound, life for life. What he's talking about is basic equality. By the way, God wants us to use equal weights and measures. He wants our behavior amongst us to be fair and equitable. And he gives the definition of what is fair and equitable. You know what he uses? The term I. And the way this works is you see with your eye a value, and 
what you're supposed to be able to do is resolve the conflict so that you see with your eye and it, and it looks correct to you. Case in point, you go out with your car and some guy runs into your fender and he breaks a fender. The law for eye for eye works like this. That man has to repair your fender so that it looks like the fender it used to be. Now, we have insurance companies and things like that today, and we use our insurance company to make that fender look like it looked before. That's the law of Moses. The basis of damages and repair. That's what the law of Moses teaches. Let me give you one other one that I absolutely love. Let's say that you borrow something from your neighbor. The law has a lot to say about that. For example, the law says that if you borrow something and you break it, you have to replace it. You borrow some guy's tool, you break it, you got to replace it. Except for this, if your neighbor came over and was present with you while you were using it and the tool breaks, you don't have to replace it. The owner was there and had control over the tool. He could have stopped you from using it the way you did. He didn't have to loan it to you. If he does and he's present, he's still responsible for his own tool. And if the tool breaks in his presence, it's as though he'd been using it himself and it broke. And the guy that was borrowing it, maybe using it in his presence, he didn't owe him anything. What? That's interesting. The law has a lot to say about little simple things that we do, how we maintain our relationships with our neighbors and so forth. Yeshua taught these commandments. And if you get into the teaching of the law of Moses, a believer in the Messiah who understands what the Messiah has taught and then goes back to the law to see what it says, you're going to get a completely different teaching out of this book, out of this law, than you have ever heard of before. That's the reason why the teaching of Yeshua struck the people so tremendously. They said of his teaching when he was teaching the law, this man speaks as one who has authority. And where did he get his learning? Because he doesn't speak like the Pharisees and the scribes. I'm here to suggest to you, my Christian friend, you need to find out what Yeshua taught about the law of Moses. It's a lot different than what we've been taught by our other Christian teachers. And I believe that you should adhere to what the Messiah has to say about this rather than any other man. That's our teaching for this Shabbat. We're going to continue on in this subject in our next program. I look forward to seeing you at that time. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, everyone, who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.